0: Salamji River House. You say Salamji, Salamji. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we're just gonna pray, and then we have some good news to to share with you tonight about this Jesus we are worshiping. Amen. Yeah, Lord, we just we do continue to worship you in this place. And we look at you, King Jesus, and we look at your kingdom, God, and we thank you that your kingdom's here, your kingdom's now, your kingdom is advancing all over this earth, God, that your kingdom uh, transcends time, culture, race, language, everything, God. It's your total answer to our total need, God, we thank you uh, for the testimony of what you're doing in the earth, God, we thank you for the testimony of what you're doing here, and we do, God, just as we, we sat and listened, God, at the end of that time, God, as an act of worship, I just, we continue to give you our ear, God. We sit down here and we listen as an act of worship. And we invite the king of the kingdom of God to step into this room. And to speak to us, God, that you would disclose your heart to us, God, and that you would invite us more fully into the story of what you've already written in the earth and what you're just bringing to light in these days. And so we honor you, Jesus, and we bless this time. And we just continue to worship you tonight. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. And if you believe that, just say amen. 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 Well, thank you for praying for us. Uh, We were, uh, the four of us were in Pakistan. Uh, for the last eight or nine days. It's kind of hard to remember right now because we got off the plane uh, about 10, what, 10.30 last night. And I personally went to bed at 11 and woke up at 3 and came to church. (laughs) So, yeah. You guys have never been jet-lagged like that before or else you'd be like, wow, that's funny. Um, You got to really be gracious to us because we got uh, heavy eyes, but our hearts are really bright and we've seen... Uh, pretty incredible things that we're going to just be witnesses tonight of what God is doing in this part of the earth. Um, to kind of set up why we would even create a space like this to testify. Um, I have long believed, and it, it's been my own personal journey, is that the the discipleship that I received in the global south, uh, meaning you know Africa, South America, and Asia... Uh, what God has, how Jesus has discipled me in that part of the world has been by far the most vibrant and powerful discipleship that I have received. And I believe that one of the keys to seeing the American church uh, restored and revived is when the American church will submit herself to receive discipleship from the global south. I actually believe that it's one of the keys in heaven of us stepping into the glory uh, because these people are living in the glory. Uh, They're also living in the agony uh, that's beyond what we can imagine, but they're living in the glory. And I kid you not, you go into little churches that have very little anything that we would find comfortable or nice or ambience or ethereal worship or anything, and uh, the King of Heaven is there in a way that's hard to put words to. And you see this so much, and you just, you know, I. I, I always tell the, the people that we're with, the brothers, sisters, pastors, leaders that we're ministering with in these parts of the world, I said, no, you, you don't understand, like, we receive a treasure that words can't describe, and I said, I wish that we could bring you home with us so that you could save us from our lack and our poverty, uh, because I look at you and I see a wealth that I can't, uh, I, I've never touched and lived with my own life, and so uh, I, I, I kind of set that up as I believe one of the calls God's given me is to be a bridge between the global South and the Western Church, and uh, I live kind of a paradox in my own life where I feel, in the external sense, I feel much more home here. Uh, I like my car and my clothes, and I am a glamper, not a camper, so like I like nice things. I love America. And, uh, but spiritually, I often feel like I'm amiss in this nation, if I'm just confessing honestly. I don't quite feel at home. Uh, but when I get there, in these places like Pakistan, and the outside sense, it's nothing that I really like. It's busy and loud and dirty and hot and uncomfortable and loud and people and traffic and loud and just all this. And yet spiritually, it's like my heart feels like I'm at home with Jesus. And it's been a strange thing to navigate uh, over the years. And so uh, this trip, just to be honest, was probably the most powerful uh, experience. Um, This this will probably be an experience I look back at for the rest of my life and remember that something changed in my heart uh, on November 15th, 2021. And uh, so I'm just going to kind of set the stage, and then we honestly have no idea what we're going to (laughs) share. We are like, we know we're wrecked, um, but it's dangerous when you give four jet-lagged people who haven't had time to process (laughs) and experience the microphone, (laughs) but we like it raw here, amen? Who's excited now? Yeah, okay, now you're awake. Wow, praise the Lord. You're on the edge of your seat. They might say something, woo. But uh, just to kind of give an overview, we went, uh, I'd been... I'd been a few years ago with uh, Pastor Stan Fleming. He's been doing work in Pakistan for the last 10 years. And I kind of tagged along, built some relationships with people. And uh, we'd been talking for the last couple years about me coming back. And COVID obviously shut some doors. And earlier this year, I was extensively praying. And the Lord just spoke really clearly in that time and said, I'm sending you and I want you to go. And so um, there's a revival that's taking place in this nation. Uh, It is an Islamic Republic. Um, But God has given a door of uh, really opened a door and given grace and favor to actually uh, do pretty large scale uh, evangelistic meetings where they're seeing hundreds and thousands coming to the Lord. Not so much in the last couple years um, because of COVID has been very painful time there. But uh, in general, there's just this wide door for ministry. And uh, there's a family there that we've partnered with and uh, it's the younger brother and he has his own ministry that is specifically uh, he's not really focusing on the cities, he's focusing in the outlying regions and the villages and what they call the backside jungle uh, to reach the unreached and bring the good news of the gospel to the unreached. And honestly, they're probably the most poor people on the planet. Uh, this is one of the poorest nations on the planet. These are the poorest people within the poorest nation of the planet. He spends his whole life with them. And so we spent, we went and did uh, five, five outreach meetings uh, in the nights, just open air crusades, some smaller, one pretty large one. And, uh, and then ministered at uh, a church that's out there in this area. And what else did we do? That's about it. I visited some of the schools that uh, Pastor Stan Fleming actually has been uh, the one pioneering these schools. And so that was kind of the overview of the trip. Um, just to give you some like super like good news. We did like rough math in our heads, and we think we saw about 8,000 people who had never heard the gospel come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. It was absolutely wild. I was like, oh my gosh, in heaven, we're going to meet these people one day and be like, wow. Uh, you know, so that was, uh, that was incredible. We went to one place that it was verified we were the first people with Caucasian colored skin to ever visit that village. In the middle of the night, driving through these back roads, they call it literally the backside jungle. They'd never seen a white person and they'd never heard about Jesus. And they got saved, miracles were happening. I mean, we saw profound healings. God would give words of knowledge. The people would stand up and walk and testify. They called this word of knowledge. My neck got healed. The whole place would start praising God and be like, there is a God who's alive and he's here and his name is Jesus. Um, we, you know, and I, we, we saw deaf ears open, we saw people that had been paralyzed, I think nine years, their neck loosed and they started moving their neck, saw a woman that for, what was it, six years hadn't been able to, hadn't been able to move her arm and she came up started kissing me on the face in front of eight, seven thousand people, kissing me on my cheek, not my, not my lips. I made sure I clarify that to my wife Uh, just just amazing miraculous touch from Jesus as he's literally introducing himself to people in front of our eyes and it was absolutely glorious I'm I'm gonna let uh, the team maybe share some I mean too too many that I could even uh, count and I'll let uh, maybe each share uh, stories and we don't like we said we don't know exactly what we're gonna share but um, I want to I want to share this and this is probably like, it was glorious beyond what I could describe, but there's also like an agony uh, in seeing, and, and I find that it's often the reason that people are poor in spirit is because they've suffered. And uh, we went to a church, so a week ago, this is this is last Sunday for us, this is how fresh this is, this is the next time we're in church, since the last time we were in church, and we were at church in this uh, little old uh, pink building, and there's probably 300 people there, and they uh, we knew that they a lot of them were brickyard workers uh, Which means that they're indentured slaves essentially uh, working in brickyards. We knew this and uh, I got up and I began preaching about the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is now and that the king of heaven is here now and Jesus stepped into that room and it was glorious I and mean, it was so glorious for probably two hours we were just Jesus was healing people and they're testifying. People were sobbing under the love of God, prophetic words, and they were just crumpling on the ground, people were getting deliver. I mean, it was just like, it was like a war zone in this church. Just like, what is happening? Bodies are on the floor. People are rejoicing. I mean, the end of that service, they did their offering song and you've never seen a more joyful sight in your life is these people praising God as everyone eyes are open. A pastor comes up and says, I've been a pastor for all these years. I've never seen the kingdom until today. I've never seen it like I see today. It's like, it's hard to put words to, you know, it's just the glory was there and the king of heaven was in that room, and we went home rejoicing, praising God, and then we woke up on Monday morning, and we were going right back out to the same place, and we were going to visit the, the people, and uh, Pastor Rizwan takes us uh, to the brickyard, and uh, we get out of the car, and he walks us down, and he says, this is, this is the first family I want us to visit, and it's a family in their church, they were there yesterday, I recognized the girls. And uh I think we might have some pictures, but if you could, it's one of the ones, maybe just, they're in the brickyards, they're on their ground kind of making bricks, and uh, they're, they're on the ground, squ- squatting on the ground, making these bricks, <laughs> and he said, brother, they do this seven days a week for 14 hours. And he said, uh, he said why? He said, because they, they owe money to the, the brickyard owner. He said, how much money do they owe? It's a family of seven. It's the first family. It's $1,400. He said, how long, have, how long have they been doing this? He said, 32 years. And he said, "Then the two older girls, he said, they need, they need to get out because they're being assaulted. And there's nothing that the parents can do. And for the next two hours, we went and visited the same families that we literally preached the kingdom to and saw the kingdom with. 39 years, 23 years, over $700 debts and $1,200 debts. I mean, you saw the pictures, the little children, the little five-year-old children. They're they're slaves. And uh, something in my heart broke. It was more than just hearing the voice of God. It was like the heart of God broke my heart. And it was like a threshold of something in me just burst. I'll never be able to unsee what I saw on that day. And uh, I said, Lord, I preach the kingdom to them sight to the blind liberty to the captive healing to the broken heart so i've been juxtaposed between glory and agony and i've been longing i've been praying for quite a while for a revelation of the king that I could live the reality of the kingdom. And I feel like God treated me as a friend on that day, and he showed me his heart. And uh, I've got ideas, I've got all kinds of things going on in my mind that I'm not going to share with you right now. But I'm deeply, deeply disturbed, and uh, that's probably the greatest gift God's ever given me—is that this very disturbance. And so, I'm not gonna really tidying a bow, but I give you that gift, as a church. And I guess I invite you to join me, and I want to know the real kingdom. And Jesus met me the next day. I was deeply, deeply disturbed. And he just said, hey, keep your eyes right on me. He said, look at me. He said, you're not building the kingdom. He said, I already built it. It's like, but I'm looking for people that I can reveal it to. He said, so don't be afraid. He said, don't be overwhelmed. He Just said, come to me. And if you say yes, I'll invite you into a beautiful story. So I have faith and I have hope. But I have anguish in my heart because they're there right now. It's making bricks. And I'm like, I can't live without Lord.
1: It's hard to move on from that. For me, the trip. I was in a a bit of a a different situation than these guys going into this trip. Um, Each of them have spent, you know, time in the global south, and and I had not. And so, um, when Jord asked me to go on this trip, that's that's kind of where my process started. It wasn't an instantaneous yes for me. it it was honestly difficult for me. I wanted to say no. Um, When he asked me to go, you know, to Pakistan, my my head went so many places, and and in my head, I I just, I wanted to say no. Like, no, I don't really want to go. And as I invited the Lord into that space and allowed him to kind of speak, Yeah, I, I just, I knew. I knew that I was supposed to go. Um, and I didn't know why. It didn't really make sense for me on a lot of different levels. Um, but I, I knew I was supposed to go. And and, and that was significant for me. I think um, the element of of surrender that, that I think I experienced. I remember the day that I finally decided to go, um, I was... Kind of spending a lot of time by myself and um, kind of agonizing over whether I should go or not and um, it, there was just this subtle knowing the Lord spoke to me and all all I kept hearing over and over again was do you trust me like do you trust me and I just I knew I knew I had to say yes I didn't and I think Yeah, I think I'm sharing that because I think that it's funny Jackie kind of transitioned us the way that we did, because I kind of felt this during prayer. But I think that a lot of times we we look for the pomp and circumstance, the confirmation, the, you know, confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. And I think the significance of that moment for me was, you know, I trust that I hear the Lord's voice, but I think it, it gets easier and I you know it, it gets easier as as you kind of grow in maturity but there're still certainly times where you're like nope I don't want to do that like I need more and more confirmation and um, yeah I just felt like I was supposed to share that like the clouds don't necessarily need to part and you don't need to hear an audible voice for you to receive confirmation um, the voice of the Lord is, is sometimes subtle and sometimes small and I can't imagine if I'd have said no. Yeah. It's it's hard. I'm sitting here in this, I think, I'm just in such a raw place. It's, it's really difficult to kind of put words to it all. Um, I think, for me, having not been to the Global South before, I'm having a hard time like honing in on any specific thing that I saw or like encountered because I'm just so blown away by the overall like culture and hunger like there's a hunger there that I've never experienced it's just it's different there's something different about it you know they're poor in spirit in a way that like pulls you into this like new reality and yeah, I was even sitting down here before and I'm like, why am I more nervous right now than before I get on a stage in front of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Why am I more nervous right now? And I you know, I think it's because when you're around people like that, they like I said, they just they pull you into like this new reality, like you're it's like the kingdom becomes fresh and and new in a way that's like both miraculous but also extremely normal like if that makes sense and and i think it's tough like we live in a culture like the water that we swim in like is it's a breeding ground for like skepticism and judgment and 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 disregard and and unbelief and i think when you're pulled into a culture like that they there's no room for it there's no space for unbelief or judgment or if i'm believing for a miracle like there's no room for them to be like i i god might heal me or he might not and i can just go to the hospital there's no room for it and so yeah it's like It it did something in me to just experience, just to touch something like that, Um, that I really, I don't really have words for it, for what it did for me. Um, But the things that I saw as a byproduct of their belief and their faith, and and their, it 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 blew my mind. I I I came into the trip. I was telling Jordan, you know, we were kind of talking. He's like, "What are some things you're believing for?" and you know, I'm like, I want to see miracles. Like, I I didn't grow up necessarily believing in miracles. I didn't believe that God still healed today and things of that nature. It wasn't something that I was exposed to and I just, I didn't believe it. And and since then that's changed, I've, obviously. I've had all the belief in the world. Um, so I'm like, I, wa- I want to see it. I want to see the miraculous, you know? and and it was extre- It was interesting because as I was exposed to it, I mean, this lady, I remember this lady came up and, and it was the, the lady that Jordan referred to. She had had, like, I don't know if it was nerve damage. I think it was nerve damage. She hadn't been able to, like, move her arm in six years. And you should have seen the light in her eyes. She was, like, jumping up and down and waving her arm. And it was like she's not putting on a show like you could see it on her face. Like, God just touched that woman, you know? and there there was a, another lady how how long had she had that tumor on her neck nine years she had had a tumor on her neck for nine years and she came up and was like it's gone yeah. and i'm like yeah it it is <laughs> and and so but it but at the same time there was this kind of the it, there this I hate to use the word benign nature because it wasn't benign it was miraculous but it like it was normal it was like wow you know yeah you got healed you know it wasn't like this i think in my head i had built up this expectation of like when you see this miraculous it's like there's fire falling from the ceilings and like you're you know and it's like no it's like it's just the kingdom it's like when we step into the reality of the kingdom is now. Like when you ste- actually step into that reality, both mentally and physically, that is normal, you know. And and for me, I uh, in all honesty, I hadn't been exposed to it. You know, I think I had seen healings and things like that, but the the subtle, normal nature of God miraculously healing someone blew me away. It, yeah, it blew me away, and so it. It's still messing with me. I, I, I don't really know what to do with it, to be honest, you know, but I think it's it's, it's available to us. Like, I think we, we look at, at the culture that they, you know, are, that they live in, and it's like, oh, they're forced into that by poverty. They're forced into that because they're needy physically. So, of course, they're needy spiritually. And, and I think we disqualify the fact that, like, it's available to us, you know, and I think, I think we can become so distracted by things that are luxuries to us right i think you sometimes i I take for granted the fact that i have so many things around me that can help me check out you know like little things you know um and and so it, it i think that because we're a part of that culture it's it's not like a pointing finger thing it's just the culture we're a part of That sometimes we can actually be pulled mentally out of the fact that we're in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here and now. And so it stifles our faith, I think. And and so being a part of something like that, it just, man, I don't know.
2: Yeah, so I'm also very unfiltered and unprocessed. But um, Sam mentioned it, but one morning Jordan asked us, like, what are you believing for and, and what do you want to see? And all I could really say was I want to see, like, the love of God come, and I just want to see, like, the weighty, weighty, weighty love of God. And that had kind of been my prayer going on this trip was, like, i've seen miracles and i've seen people get saved but i was like i just like i want to see your love and and i think every miracle only happens because god loves people but i think like i wanted in my heart my prayer was like cut my heart god like you can come and like you can cut my heart and uh the day we went to the brickyards did that like nothing ever even almost has i didn't I almost like felt like I needed to walk away a couple times because I was like I can't keep it together, and I almost like it felt embarrassing that some of these people had seven hundred dollars of debt, and they'd been there for thirty years. It was like how do I, like how do I come to terms with this? What do I do? Um, and the next day after, I think it was the next day, or maybe it was a few days later, but we went back to the same brickyard where we saw all the workers at, and. Um, there's been a lot of like little schools started in these brickyards, and when we think schools, we think buildings. This is the little brickyard where they just set chairs out, and a teacher comes from the city and teaches them. And uh, we were we the day it was the next day because the day before I could barely keep it together, and the second we walked into the schoolyard and saw the children's faces, I like started like I held it together, but I like started laughing with joy. And then we were sitting there, and they were just kind of singing songs, and we were handing out some candy and stuff and I was just in my heart I was like how how yesterday was I here so torn and so cut, wanting to walk away, not wanting to walk away because i didn't want to do anything, but wanting to walk away because I was like, this is too much there's generations there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds year of years worth of slavery over maybe twenty five thousand dollars here." And uh, the next day I found myself laughing, and as I was sitting there looking at the kids, all I could say in my heart was, God, you really do take ashes and you turn them to beauty. And it was weird for me because it didn't feel like much. The school was like, kind of felt like nothing. It was so small. It was a couple of kids and the pastor had told us, he said, I said, why'd you start the schools? Because there's 17 of them. And he said, I started the schools because a a decade from now, these children can get jobs and hopefully buy their families out of slavery. And it like, it broke my heart to hear that because I was like, on faith, you started 17 schools, so in a decade, you can see people come, like come alive. And it was, uh, it was overwhelming because somehow I felt like the love of God, and I was like, torn because part of me was like, I woke up the morning after the brickyard and, Kind of angry the second I woke up kind of angry and really anxious at just like Somewhat of like God, how can this be not like angry at God I was like should I be angry at you? Or should I not like I didn't really know what to think and then we hadn't seen the school yet, but I felt God that morning Just so quietly was like like John. Do you think I'm anxious about the problem? I was like, no, I don't think you're anxious. And he was like, do you think I'm like in a hurry? And I was like, no, I don't think you're in a hurry. And then a few hours later, we see kids that in a decade, hopefully in a decade, they'll see, uh, they'll see things transformed because of them. Um, and it was interesting for me personally. I felt like uh, every time I saw healing, it was like instead of seeing it with my eyes, I was able to see it with my heart. And my heart would just explode with love. That like, God, you only heal because you love. Like you don't heal to put on a show, like you don't heal to blow our minds. You don't heal because you want to start conflict in the church of all things. But, uh, but you heal because your heart bleeds with love, like bleeds with love. And even today in flying home, that's what I just couldn't get out of my mind was like the heart of God just bleeds. Like it's just cut and it just bleeds with love and it bleeds with love. And it just, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going for decades of generational poverty and slavery. Like, I've seen poverty in other nations, but I've never seen slavery. Like, and my heart's been broken for poverty, but to see slavery, when these, you know, vulnerable people went and took $1,000 because maybe they were planning a funeral, and then next thing you know, the little kids that they're teaching, the cutest little kids you've seen in your life, are the ones who dressed up for school and leaving that place, I was like, oh no. Like in a couple hours you're walking straight back to make bricks. Um, so yeah, God God did a lot in me. I told Sam before we left this trip. He was like, Are you nervous? I was like, well, like practically I'm not nervous. I don't have fear in me about what could happen, I don't, but I said my the only nervous thing in me is I know every time I go on these trips, it feels like God traps me because I th- see things that I can't unsee, and that's what I felt like this trip was. It was like God, like you showed me things that I can't get out of my mind, and it's not just the fifty people we saw, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions and Yeah, I think this trip if it did anything for me it gave me perspective that my life is like really 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 short Like on the plane ride home. I just kept getting hit with my life is so short and um, The last thing I'll share I don't think I don't think I've ever been as inspired by a human being as I was by the pastor that we traveled with like I can truly I can truly say that he has a His family name is a huge name in Pakistan and he's the youngest of I think five or six brothers and he chooses to spend his time in villages with 50 people where there's no money there's nothing to allure him there besides the heart of God and he's seeing he's starting to see revival but the whole time I was there I was just it was like there was a war in my head where it was like the kingdom the kingdom isn't what I think it is like I don't have this whole kingdom thing figured out, you know um, He like He has a bunch of natural favor, but it's almost like he he doesn't use his family name to promote him in ministry He literally has walked away from so much natural favor and God's gotten into his heart And now it's just spilling out on all of these slaves And I think that's what I came home and inspired with was like god i don't have to worry about a platform i don't have to worry about a title i don't have to worry about a single thing because when you get in a heart and you cut it it just starts to bleed and the blood is what starts you know it's it's the blood that that heals things it's the blood of jesus that heals things and so i'm disturbed and i'm inspired and i think the kingdom is both of those i think oftentimes i'm inspired but i think i come home and i'm like the kingdom of heaven is so different than the kingdom we live in and if it's truly right now then it's disturbing beyond belief and it I feel like it demands something I came home from the brickyard and all I told God was I don't need to pray I know I don't need to ask you because you cut my heart so deeply that like there's a demand a demand from heaven um, and I don't know what that looks like but I'll keep looking at Jesus and I know he he'll reveal what it looks like so I'm a mess, amen.
3: (laughs) Um, I think one of the prayers I've prayed the most in my life is that I just wanted to know his heart my darkest days my heart shut off and I couldn't feel and so I think from that day my my deepest desire has been to just God I want to feel like you feel (laughs) like I want to encounter your heart and I've had moments uh, throughout my life where I can look and say (laughs) I encountered the heart of God um but on this trip I feel like I was just completely undone by his heart um, in a way that I never have before. And it's hard for me to even process it, to be honest. When we walk through those brickyards, I'm usually someone who feels after the fact. Um, It's hard for me to feel in the moment. but we got out of our van, and I immediately just started weeping. And I walked through those brickyards, <laughs> and I feel like I just, I just broke. We broke, and I feel like I still am. And at this point, I don't know. I don't know why. I know I have a role to play. Um, and I don't know what that looks like. Um, but what we saw, like they've all said, is I won't be able to unsee it. Uh, I think I was disturbed to the core of who I am. Uh, But it made me realize that the kingdom of God looks like something. And loving Jesus looks like something. And I think, uh, you know, I've been on many trips and I've spent a lot of time in impoverished nations. I worked in a refugee camp for many months. Um, And it was hard to see, but this was something on a whole nother level. Um, at the same time though, I found myself in such a tension because I was experiencing, we, like Jordan said, that was on Monday. We flew in on Saturday um, and we did meetings every night of the week and then had a really big meeting um, where people were being saved. And so there was this utter tension between the gloriousness of seeing a son or daughter come home. Um, But also then, you drive around Pakistan, and uh, the whole nation, every building, is built from these bricks. And so you drive, and I was just constantly reminded. It's like a nation that's been built on these people's backs. but then at the same time, yeah, seeing people saved and healed, it's like, and I'm one who, I'm an extremist, like, through and through. Praise God, I never drank alcohol, because it would, be, it would have been the death of me. But, like, I'm just, like, it's it just, like, I'm an extremist. Like, I, I, I don't know 50%. I don't know 75%. I don't even know 99%. Like, it's either 100 or it's zero. <laughs> and um, I think on this trip, more than ever in my life, like, I wanted to just gravitate towards, like, we just need to, like, stop and we need to, like, free these people. And, like, all of our time and our attention needs to go towards these people. And it's like, what does it matter to have a crusade and have thousands of people come and, like, preach the gospel if we're not actually, like, freeing the actual physically Im- impoverished enslaved people? Um, and Jordan was like, no, it's both. Like, it's both. Like, it's, it's souls being one for eternity, but it's also like clothing the naked and, and feeding the hungry. And I think it's like I, I wanted to gravitate to one or the other. And, and I just feel so stuck in the middle. And like what John said, Pastor Rizwan, I have few people I've, I've respected more in such a short amount of time. Um, this man gives him life his life by night to, to going out to these unreached people groups. Um, and then he gives his days, you know he pastors the church in the brickyards and there's 300 400 people in the brickyard and he meets with every family once a week um it's absolutely amazing and i think what i saw was uh now there they are and that's his wife may but uh they are uh, uh they moved me i think they showed me what's possible they i think they revealed an aspect of the kingdom of god to me um, and what it looks like to to see it come with power and glory and and in the crusades and in the evangelism, but also like the practical needs. And and I also just want to testify that like the church and the Islamic State, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan is like alive, like in and it's like thriving. We met with on our last day, yeah, round of applause. This is a nation that 97% of the people are Muslim, um, all government officials for the most part. And uh, Christians are a very small minority, but the on the last day we were there, Rizwan is the head over. He's got sixteen pastors that work for him. Um, he's given fifteen hundred dollars a month from give from people out of the country to support his sixteen pastors. So I'll let you do the math there, but um, it, it's utterly amazing. These sixteen men, or most of them, came to and met with us on Friday, and we got the opportunity to pray over them um, and just kind of like. Talk with them uh, through translation and whatnot, but you know, one of the pastors, his his family lives in the city in Lahore, but he felt called to start a church like out in the uh, in the backwood jungles, and so he spends two weeks out there ministering to the unreached Muslim people groups, and then he comes home for a week and spends it with his young kids, and it's these men who you could just they almost have these glorious battle scars on their face, like you can just see it in them that like they're tried and tested and the best way to describe it is like in America, to be a Christian, you're kind of swimming with the river a bit. It's not terribly upstream. You know, it's pretty easy. These men, it's like they're they literally swimming upstream every day. Um, and the hunger and the tenacity and the resolve that you see in their eyes, um, and the way that they give themselves, it, it, to, because they, their heart for their nation is, is beautiful. So I'm pretty undone. Um, it was a it was a glorious gift to be able to to go, um, and I'm excited what this will birth in in my life and our lives and in the church. So.
0: Um, so so I did something kind of on accident while we were there. You know how they say it's easier ask forgiveness than it is permission. I, I did something um, I accidentally started another church and uh, well a, another river house and uh, that was I just I, I looked at Rizwan and I said look I, I I haven't talked to the board of the church back home I haven't I don't really care I said I just I said I I said I I have to do something and I said your church um, I said I I just have to at least start there and I want to see your church free and uh, I just said, "So I'm, I'm with you." I said, "That's all I can tell you." Is I said, "I don't, I don't know what it means. I don't know how." I, I, you know, you know, he's—they're really smart there. It's like sustainable. It's not a, it's not some sort of a savior complex. But it's like, no, there's there's partnership. And and God just linked our hearts with him. And he said, "Well," he said, "My church—it's River House now." <laughs> I was like, "No, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't need to do that." He said, "No." He said, "God's linking our hearts together." And he said, "If we're going to be partners, then." We need to share the same name, and uh I said, okay, and so um his church is our church, and our church is is his church now um so I hope you're all right with it, elders um, <laughs> so yeah, at this point, um you know his church is eighty percent of them are they slaves, and uh uh he has hundreds and hundreds of more people that actually can't even come to their church because they have this, this teeny, teeny, teeny building that they can't fit people, and, and they can only come to church first thing in the morning because they have to get to work as soon as church ends, and so they can't do two services or three services or whatever. So I just said, look, man, I don't know how, I don't know what, but I have faith that God has uh, ordained this partnership and said, so I want to see your church free, and we want I want to see you you get... Uh, a land. They do open-air meetings. They just need land. They just need space. It's like, my gosh. So, um, we have a river house in Kassar, Pakistan, and, uh, I think that's a gift from God, uh, to us. And so I don't, I don't, there's nothing practical tonight. It's just pray, um, The Lord told me uh, on this trip, He said, You know, you've been asking for inheritance in the nations. And uh, s- as soon as we started this church, we started getting these words Your church is an artesian well, and the water is going to go from river house to nations. And I think we have a really glamorized, you know, of like, yeah, nations. <laughs> and the Lord's like, "This, This is your inheritance. <laughs> this is my inheritance you know it's his inheritance this people and uh, so we're growing we're expanding god's giving us inheritance and it's it's the joy of getting to love and be loved you know we walked into a home in the brickyard not much bigger than this stage maybe maybe about 30% bigger than this stage where six of them live and uh, they sat us down and. Brought us each water bottles, and it was hard to receive that because it's coming from slaves who were paying for that water bottle with their bricks. And we said we can't take this. And Riz once said, "No, let them love you. It's the love." So it's not a. It's not just one way. It's two way their love for us and our love for them. And I think God's doing something beautiful with Riverhouse Church. And uh, they alluded to it. And I, I always think, you know, yeah, it's. I don't think the call is for all of us to go to Pakistan. Um, but I think all of our call is to live the kingdom. And I can testify truly to you that a threshold broke in my heart when it comes to this understanding, you know, of the the separation between Sunday and Monday. And it was like when I saw them on Monday, it was like what I spoke on Sunday, I'm a false teacher. If there's not a full picture, you know, it's like the kingdom's not just a spiritual reality, it is an incarnational reality. It is a flesh and blood reality. It's the word that became flesh reality. It's what I sing on Sundays changes everything about Mondays through Fridays reality. It's, it's the love of God just says go and go and go. You know, it's like this picture. And so I think if there's disturbance that I'd want us all to wrestle with, it's like, what does the kingdom look like? Because it looks like something. It looks like something. It, it looks like something that cost us a lot, you know? Like it looks like something that costs us everything. And I think that that's what we're journeying on and I know that God is wanting to reveal. Yeah, you know, I've been preaching this lately. The kingdom of God is not something that we build. It's already been built. The kingdom of God is not something that we're going to one day, it's already here. So we're just learning to enter into it. And uh, I, want, I want us to just look like Jesus through and through. You know, I know Joel was up here last week, shared that announcement. What does the kingdom look like? Or a refugee city? You know, and I was sitting there in Pakistan thinking, what would it look like if I got dropped off in this city with an apartment building? And they said, good luck. It's like, oh, God, I'd be hoping someone helps me. You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know church I just am, I'm not trying to put any sort of shame I'm just trying to invite you into like what I think we should be wrestling with like what does the kingdom of God look like what does it look like what does it look like here what does it look like now what does it look like tomorrow what does it look like in Pakistan like this is what Jesus is after this was his sole message repent the kingdom of God is at hand So Spirit of God, I thank you. I just trust that you can use these words. God, I trust that you orchestrated this story. God, this connection, this night. God, this information. You're orchestrating it, God, because you are speaking through all of these words. Repent. Repent. Change the way you think about life. Change everything that you think about everything. Because the kingdom of God is here in the kingdom of God is now. Lord, I pray that you would open that door to us, you'd open revelation to see more clearly, to enter in more fully to this reality called the kingdom of heaven. Lord, and may our love as a church look like something. God, it looks like something. It looks like something concrete. It looks like something tangible. God, it looks like Jesus. God, give us Jesus' love. And I pray, Lord, that you will cut us as a church together. God, cut us. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And do something so profound, Lord, in the midst of this community that we can see beyond ourselves. And we can see the kingdom that's at hand. You know, and I just sense there's kind of a, there's a somber spirit of God here. I just want to maybe maybe just dim the lights and just spend a few minutes in quiet. Lord, we ask that you speak. We give you permission to speak to give us your heart. So we're just gonna leave it in quiet and silence. And when you're ready to go, you can go. Maybe if someone wants to just play some soft music. Just let the compassion of the Lord have his way in us tonight.